Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the AC Podcast. Your host for today is none other than Andy Steiger, as he sits down with former FBI agent Chris Gonzalez. Here is Andy talks to him about how he goes from being an agent to the founder of GoodTube. What's GoodTube? Well, you're just going to have to listen to the episode to find out. But before you do, I just want to let you know about two events we got coming up. It's really three, but I'm going to give you two. The AC Conference is back, as you have heard. It is called Branded Rethinking Identity. But before that, we're going to be holding an event called Made in Canada. It's going to be held at DeVry Centre Chapel in Langley, B.C. I know what you're wondering. What on earth are we going to be talking about? Well, to just give you a bit of background, in June of 2016, medical assistance in dying, MAID, became legal in Canada. Since then, MAID has undergone multiple revisions that have expanded its scope and access. Most recently, Canada gained international attention as our government was set to make MAID available to those individuals whose sole underlining health concern is mental health. This update to MAID was set to go into effect in March of 2023, But as of December 15th, 2022, this has been temporarily delayed. More than a news headline, MAID is an increasing ethical challenge for many Canadians. It affects far more than just the patient. From the medical professionals involved in administering it to the friends and family processing it. As the law expands, the difficulties that MAID presents are becoming more and more challenging to navigate, both personally and professionally. This pre-conference event is an opportunity to be informed and to discuss a Christian response. So as mentioned, this is a pre-conference event that will be held before the BCAC conference. But coming up in February 10th to the 11th, we will be holding the AC conference in Saskatchewan at Briarcrest College and Seminary. So once again, the conference is called Branded Rethinking Identity. Right now, you can head to conference.apologeticscanada.com and get your tickets today. We hope to see you at one of these three events, maybe all three if you're keen. Okay, that was a lot. Now for the podcast. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger, and I am joined today with Chris Gonzalez. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Now, you are joining us from, as you put this, I don't even know if you remember this. I still laugh about this. When we first met, I said, where are you from? And you said, I'm from uh, Alaska, but you, you said it's like Canada but free. (laughs) That's exactly right. It's like Canada, but with freedom still. (laughs) So joining us all the way from Alaska, how are things up north? Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, We love winter. I grew up in Texas and we didn't really have a winter. Usually just have four seasons and it's mostly summer and then Christmas day. And we came up here for the winter and we found out that summers were beautiful. So we enjoy every aspect of it. Now, do you live in Anchorage, or are you are you just are yes. you, are you in the main? No, city? I live I live I live in Anchorage. I don't know if I'm I'm just not tough enough to be out there chopping my own wood and and taking the sled into town to get to get fifteen dollar gallon of milk. But we live in Anchorage, yet we still get bears on our porch and moose passing through the backyard, and then we get out out to the uh, wilderness and then come back home. So it's I really love it here. Now you saw the other day I posted that I took my boys on a on a winter camping trip in negative thirty degree weather, and yes. I, I guess for you guys that's just that's just normal. That's that's just a picnic. Well, you know I don't know about that. I took my son on a uh, <laughs> I took my son on a winter backpacking trip, and it was in the fives and and zeros, 
and I may have scarred him for life. Um, <laughs> I, I was learning, and so one of the things I did was I said, well, just melt snow to make our food uh, and make our drinks and everything. But I didn't bring anything to hold the warm water in, and so I was cooking, and then That's I had to helpful. help him. And when I came back, it was all immediately frozen. And yep. so the night went through, and we were eating just the dry portions of MREs, and finally, my son, bless his heart, said, can we go home? I said, yes. Yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. Well, uh, you are the founder of GoodTube Kids, and I, I'm looking forward to discussing that with you. But before we get into that, I actually want to know a, a little bit more about you. And to get into this, uh, I think it's, it would be helpful just to let listeners know how we met. Because this is definitely one of the most unique sure. ways I've I've ever met a fellow brother in Christ that uh, that has a heart for apologetics. I was at the airport in Seattle preparing mm-hmm. to get onto a flight to uh, Denver for the Evangelical Theological Society when I found myself beside Chris. Now, normally, uh, apparently, this happens privately. You can explain this in a moment, but. The ticketing agent asked for your, you know, your credentials, and I look over and you flip out uh, an FBI badge, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, it's not every day you see somebody, you know, flipping out an FBI badge. And then, basically, what I saw then was she gives you like this paperwork to bring a gun onto the plane, and she was very nonchalant about it. Very nonchalant. So walk me through this. Okay, first of all, you're an FBI agent. That's right. Secondly, okay. Do, does every FBI agent bring a gun onto a plane? Like, like break this down for me. Well, uh, without revealing any procedures, there is the ability for federal special agents uh, to carry while on uh, an air, an airline, a commercial airline. So it's not required of you. Well, it is something that I would say is expected of us because we're kind of always on duty, right? Okay. And so when you're when you're always on duty, it benefits really everybody uh, because it helps. We're a force multiplier in that. And as you said, uh, normally something that we don't talk about very often, we try to just keep low key. <laughs> and I came home and I told my wife this story. And I said, normally it's a lot of like very low key passing of paperwork done without bringing attention to anything. But essentially, this gate agent was like, Is that you with a gun? You with a gun? Anybody else have a gun? Uh, anybody else here? Raise your hand. <laughs> And so at that point, the gig was up, and I just said, yeah, okay, it's me. Here you go. Here's my paperwork. And it's hard to believe I've, I've left that career, uh, in a sense, now behind me so many years. It was 19 years of law enforcement this February, uh, all total. So right about, you know, moving on to 20, but I made it 19 years. Okay, so to finish this story, and then I want to circle back on that. So sure. then we get on this plane, we head to Denver, I and I thought, okay, that's interesting, not every day, you know, you see an FBI agent hopping on a plane with a gun. But then uh, I get into Denver, we're at Evangelical Theological Society, and I see you there. And I even said to Troy that's with me, I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know how I told you at the airport that saw this FBI agent? Well, he's here, man. And yeah. so then you and I were in the same session with uh, Dr. William Lane Craig, uh, uh, a guy that I, I know and, and love dearly. And so then I had an opportunity to talk with you there and found out more about yeah. what you're doing and said, you know what, we should do a podcast together. And here we are. So 
Where's the best place to jump into this story, Chris? Do we should we go back to the FBI agent? Like, you know, how did you get into the FBI? Great question. And why did you leave it? You know, the Lord has been uh, so instrumental in my life, and I've always been seeking kind of where am I supposed to fit. But being a sheepdog, as we talk about from Colonel Grossman's book on killing, if you're familiar with that book, I'm not. Is that like an FBI book or law enforcement book? It's very common in law enforcement to read this book and very common in the military, but this Colonel Grossman worked with special forces, worked with the military, and it talks about the idea of killing and the the act of violence that goes into uh, the ultimate um, aspects of law enforcement in the military and special forces and SWAT. And so in that book, he describes these three groups of people, generally sheep, sheep dogs, and wolves, right? And the, and the sheep uh, do are very productive and very helpful, but they don't spend their days thinking about violence. The wolves are out to eat the sheep, right? And they prey on those others. And then there's a line in between, and those are the sheep dogs, right? They are as much as home with the sheep uh, as they are fighting the wolves. And that's this role I've always felt akin to. And leaving college, uh, after I met my beautiful wife in college, we stayed in the College Station, Texas area. I, was, I went to Texas A&M. And then I was a police officer in Bryan, Texas, and that's where I cut my teeth with SWAT and with detectives. And, oh, I learned so much from those guys, those guys on the street that had been there so long. They took me under their wing. And then I was an agent with the Department of Defense. I'd always wanted to be in the FBI. So that was my goal. That was my goal. That was my goal. And then in 2009, uh, I was uh, selected to join the FBI. I remember telling my wife, we're sitting around at a, at a big dinner with family. I said, this is kind of like my Olympics. Like, this is where I've always wanted to be. I, I finally was fortunate enough to get selected to go. And there the journey started. And I thought, how weird to be in the job I'd retire from. How weird to be like, this is my career. I never imagined leaving. And I've worked counterterrorism. I worked in the Directorate of Intelligence with at headquarters as a supervisor. And then I got an opportunity to come to Alaska on a transfer to be on the SWAT team there and to work white collar crime. And I really enjoyed it. I, I couldn't be any happier. The place I wanted to live, the two things I wanted to work. And over time, especially this past year and a half, the Lord has made me more uncomfortable in one position, in, in my FBI position. It wasn't as satisfying as it once was. And certainly the Bureau's having its its issues now. And I've written some and will likely continue to speak some more on what I believe is a crisis and leadership we're having in the higher ranks of the Bureau. But we still have so many good people that are still working there. I have colleagues and friends I care about very deeply there. At the same time, as my son grows older, I have an eight-year-old boy and a precocious little boy that I, I just just love. And he had seen something, and I'll kind of go into this. What was his transition? He had seen something on YouTube. And we describe YouTube as a playground on an eight-lane highway, right? You're just one click from disaster. And he was innocently looking at the sizes of planets, and then he saw a video about parents who hate their kids, and the kids had blood on their face, and it, it was this orchestrated video, obviously a mockery of something, but it was that fast. It was, it was a snap of a fingers, and he was right next to us. And so we said, you know, we were going to sign him up for YouTube Kids, and then I can go into that later, what YouTube Kids really has on it that's family-friendly and should never have that title. And we said, why can't there just be something good? Why can't they just have 
good, wholesome thing, just, just good tube. And there was the impetus. And I looked around and I said, who's going to do this? And I didn't see anybody doing it. And in SWAT, when you see a need, right, you fill that need, right? If, you're, if your buddy's back's exposed, you cover his back. If your, child, if your children are exposed, you protect them, right? And so here I am. The Lord called me into a, an arena I, I don't have any background in. I, I'm always honest about that. I, I don't have years of videography and boards and web design, but I'm doing this as much for my child as I am for yours and everyone's out there. So would you kind of say that this is a sheepdog ministry? Absolutely. This is... You know, in my head, I thought, I'm not really leaving being a sheepdog. I'm just protecting your children in a different way. And to be quite honest, there are a lot of good people back there at the FBI and in police forces doing all that work that, that we need and we expect. But I don't find as many people in this arena, in my background, working on task forces, learning how to bring together teams, learning how to prayerfully put my ego below the mission, the needs of the mission, uh, learning how to serve and protect others, I'm going to bring all that skill and experience into this role. And so I really haven't left the sheepdog task force, bring a team together to execute a mission mentality. I'm just focusing it on a new threat and uh, a new protect protective mission. Do you know, one of the things that I find so interesting about what we're talking about from a law enforcement perspective is that so much of our society can be geared toward punishing instead of protecting in the sense of preemptively protecting. Because mm-hmm. I, think, I think about just how wide open the internet is and the access that kids have or can have, especially if, right. if, you know, even for mom and dad, it can be very difficult to keep up with technology, yes, especially absolutely. as fast as that child can keep up with it and what they've got access to. And I've met, you know, I've, I, as I, I worked at 20 years in ministry, I, I have encountered from high schoolers to young adults that have found themselves in the crosshairs of law enforcement mm-hmm. because they found themselves on a track that led them to a place they never would have thought they would go in which they, they, they were breaking the law. I mean, that, that's one thing that we can see happen. I've been very cautious uh, with my kids of what they've got access to online and walking with them. Good. But I remember kind of like what you're saying. One day my son was watching YouTube, very young. Mm-hmm. We have all sorts of filters on our web access mm-hmm. here at my home and on our devices. But, you know, people are crafty. And very. my son was watching on YouTube for, for kids, a very benign video, you know, nothing nothing crazy, just a normal video. But somebody mm-hmm. in the comments had had posted a random letter link, you know, so it's just a bunch mm-hmm. of different letters and stuff. They didn't say anything, but out of curiosity, my son clicked on it and it brought him to uh, an inappropriate mm-hmm. website. And Absolutely. my son immediately grabbed me, you know, and said, dad, this happened. Something happened. And I was right. <laughs> kind of like, yeah. you know, you were right there. And thankfully I was right there and I could just walk with him with through that and be like, you know, not, not making it into this bigger deal than it needed to be. You know, it was, it was just an accident, but but it was a moment for me, at least, that I realized, wow, it's, this is something you really mm-hmm. need to be on guard about because it's not just what your kids are maybe trying to find, but people who are trying to find them. You know, I'm looking at an article right now that I was, I was going to post. It said that Common Sense Media had released a report, I just saw it this morning, that 54%, so most teenagers, 
had seen pornographic material by the age of 13. That's breathtaking almost really. And that 15% had first viewed pornography online by age 10. So this is something I said, and I, I, I will always say it. I care more about your children than I do about a dollar. I care more about your children than I do about a click or about some sort of a platform, right? And I, because I care about your child the same way I care about mine and what, what, what I want them, what I want my own child drawn into this and what I want my own child to be considered a click or just another viewer or, or to be lured into some sort of terrible content. You know, I mean, I could, I could explain how good to kids, even then I talked to somebody yesterday and we talked about the importance of world view. And so if you're a fan of Dr. Craig, I think he calls it a Weltanschauung, right? He, he always makes things sound incredibly academic <laughs> and intelligent. And then, and then I say it and I hear myself and I, it feels like I'm handing a macaroni painting in with six fingers and two hands or three hands. <laughs> you're a good company. We all do. Thank you, sir. Thank you. But this worldview, <laughs> everyone has a worldview, even if it's not as systematically laid out and as thorough as a, maybe a philosopher or a Christian apologist might have it, everyone has a worldview. YouTube Kids has a worldview. In their worldview, they believe it is good and proper to show gentlemen in drag to children. From the ages 9 to 12, when I went to sign my son up for YouTube Kids, that is what it will show them. And there are hundreds of videos of men in drag singing songs, reading books, showing children how to dress in drag, how to dance. In, in this drag culture, and I said, this is not okay. This is not okay. You have a worldview. I have my own worldview. I am entitled to hold to my worldview, which is the, a systematically coherent Christian worldview that sets the stage for what is objectively true and what is objectively good, and then conversely, what is false and what is bad, or what is evil even to say. One of the things that we're seeing so much that's happening right now is this shift. It's happening in all sorts of different industries. And -hmm. technology, of course, is just one of those, but we're seeing it elsewhere, of of course. But this shift into a very secular form of evangelism, if you will, where Mm -hmm. there are worldviews, as you're talking about, different ideas, but these ideas are being pushed on people, and more and more we're seeing being peddled to children. Absolutely. And I and I think that that is definitely one of the frustrations that's happening is that parents are starting to wake up to the fact that their children are being targeted. The word you said there wake up to the fact, right? We we live in a culture that's so rapidly moving downstream. It's changing and moving and we think that often nostalgic just like we do with Christmas traditions and things like that. We think it'll always be the same. Right. And then you have your own children and then they have children and all of a sudden Christmas traditions have changed. We don't do the same things we once did. The days of Mr. Rogers and of public schools where we say the Pledge of Allegiance and we say a prayer in all of that and being cohesive have long since left us. And what we have now is parents who think when I grew up, the school, the church, the television, we were all on the same page generally. Protect the children. There was this general Christian consensus. Christianity was, if not popular, was well accepted, well lived out, not without its imperfections as always, but 
there was this consensus uh, amongst the society and we've left that and parents are realizing I can't trust the schools like I used to. I can't trust the media like I used to. I can't trust the books like I used to. I can't just look at something. If it says kid-friendly, think it falls in line with my values. There's very different value systems out there that are being pushed and parents do need to wake up and I understand they're busy. That's what the second part of our tagline, we say a safe place for kids, a resource for parents. We want to be the easy button, a place they can send their children to watch safely and a place they can find what they need to protect and prepare them. Now, one of the things that's so interesting that's happening right now, and I think it's so important with what you're doing with GoodTube, is that we are seeing a shift. I, I would argue, people might disagree with me, but I would argue that we're in the midst of a shift that has happened much quicker than others have taken place in mm -hmm. our media consumption. Once TV reigned and cable took over TV, mm -hmm. then cable reigned and streaming took over cable. Mm -hmm. We are now in this place that where I'm seeing where YouTube is taking over from streaming. My kids are 13 and 15, and I'm telling you right now, of them, any of their friends, if you ask them, do you want to watch a TV show, a movie, or YouTube, they are going to choose YouTube 10 out of 10. My kids virtually never are interested in a TV show or a, a movie. Now, of course, I'll force them to watch something with me. But of course. they they <laughs> you can appreciate like that. But but <laughs> any good dad, right? But but that's not what they're choosing. I don't know, you know, for whatever reason, they are really into YouTube content. And so I can't help but think that, you know, you're on to an important ministry here and mm -hmm. that there is such a such a need to provide a place where parents can send their kids where they can trust that the content is going to be appropriate. That's right. You know, you said so much there. We look at uh, the most the current generation Z, I believe it's titled. They are spending upwards of nine hours a day on a device. The rankings were explained that in different socioeconomic structures, the lower they are on the economic structure, the more time they're spending on a device, maybe because they're not participating in activities that may cost money or something like that. So that can go to 10 to 13 hours a day on a device looking at things. If you look at studies about the algorithms, uh, or if we look at Jocko Wilnick, he talks about this dopamine feed. And all of a sudden now, when I grew up, the TV turned off at 10 o'clock, right? It just went to static. Or you had to go to Blockbuster. If you wanted on demand, you had to hope Blockbuster was there. We're so far from that. Children can scroll and swipe anything they want, anytime they want. And I don't, the, they're not ready, right? You know, I'm not saying that YouTube is in and of I don't itself know that I'm ready. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. As a system, it's, it's evil. difficult, yeah. isn't it? It is. It It's difficult, I was going to say, for parents. It's difficult for adults to navigate this and watch things that are edifying or aren't just, as one person said, doom scrolling till the end of the internet. Well, because it's going to say, because sometimes what you're watching might be fine, but it's the exactly. amount that you're watching. It, it might be what you're not doing that you should be doing sort of thing. Exactly. It, it, it does have a very addictive pull to it. And that's the intent, right? That is the intent. Mr. Rogers, I studied him quite a bit in this past few months. And he said at that time, you know, he was ordained into the Presbyterian ministry to use children's media 
to spread the the truth and goodness of God and, and his love to children. And he had a miraculous impact. He said at the time, which would have been the 70s, 60s, 80s, that the media was moving too fast, was was too much stimulation. He wanted to give children a quieter place. What would he think now? You know? <laughs> no, I have no idea. I don't even know that he would know what to think. I think... I don't think anybody could have predicted that we would be in this, you know, information overload that we and particular children are seeking to navigate. And I would say, Chris, I don't mm-hmm. know your thoughts on this, but I'd say that this was exasperated by the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. And these and these effects of YouTube wants clicks, right? YouTube kids wants clicks. They just they don't care. I I don't say that to be callous, but. They don't really care, right? They they didn't add in the protections because they wanted to. They had it in because parents de- kind of demanded them. But now children are handed phones at an earlier age. They've gotten used to this sort of scrolling, and to pry them away from it will be difficult. You know, some kids are going to say that's not fair, but, but all my friends get to do this. I said that good to kids is is like, it's going to be like a plate with a steak mashed potatoes and vegetables that's what everybody should want to eat but youtube youtube kids and some of these other streaming services are like the carnival right next door with funnel cakes and cotton candy and that's what feels good right then right but that's not what's going to nourish you and so we're going to you know build a platform to nourish and entertain and 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 we want to build a good platform I should I should have probably researched this. I didn't, but I've heard this. Maybe maybe you've heard this as well. That China has a much different approach to this, where they actually mm-hmm. limit what their children have access to, but they're quite happy to export, you know, the funnel cakes, right? All of sure. the the carnival goodies to the rest of the world, but they're actually quite selective as to what they're letting their kids watch in the sense of they include the mashed potatoes and the and yes. the steak and that they'll have, you know, that include different YouTube things on math and, and various other things that, that's a part of that mix where they're actually taking a much more of a proactive approach to this. That's what I've heard, at least. I, I haven't read. Well, I, I saw a I think it was some testimony in Congress and we're talking about TikTok and particularly if your children are on TikTok. I, I can't say it more. Not get them off of TikTok. Get them off of TikTok. Uh, TikTok is orchestrated to feed just negative, continuously, what I would say is negative feed, uh, particularly here in the U.S. That's why it's being banned by the DOD and other groups. Uh, I've heard that the algorithm is much different. What's the it DOD? Department of Defense. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the, in the, that's right. In the U.S., um, that's the, the Department of Defense here has said that you that can't the TikTok cannot be on any government devices. Uh, lots of other groups are beginning to do the same thing. Now I don't know why you'd have TikTok on your government device. I, I can't imagine my FBI phone having TikTok. But <laughs> n- nonetheless, it's very different uh, overseas in in China. Uh, from what I've heard, the algorithm highlights positive and good things. We things we would think are good. Children doing math, children doing activities and hobbies and sports, and encourages those. And children are so impressionable right now that, mm. that they they feed off of those things and then they embody them. My son used to watch this little boy play video games, and all of a sudden my son had a British accent. He would he would 
laughed like a little British child and said, what are you watching? Okay, stop watching that. And it wasn't his fault. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I imitated He-Man when I was a kid, right? right. And we do those things. Right. But imagine how confusing it is when your child watches whatever it might be, drag queens, LGBTQI+, promoting material, idiotic behavior, right? That that's, that floods the internet. Uh, yeah. And then thinks, well, Dangerous behavior. this is good. Dangerous behavior. We've seen children die as a result of pranks and I, I don't, challenges. My goodness gracious. You know, those, those people don't have children that, that really care. They don't care like we care because I would never put my son in front of that. Now, I want to back up and ask about your own journey of faith. Uh, how, how did you become a Christian, and when did apologetics become a significant part of your life, I should say? Sure. You know, I grew up—I say you know, you don't know. Uh, I grew up um, without a dad for the first eight years. My, my dad, I don't know where he was. He just wasn't in my life. And so I was with, raised by my mom and my grandmother, and I watched more shows of Designing Women— and the Golden Girls, then I've probably seen every episode. I grew up but, without a dad as well, and my mom <laughs> had me watch Pollyanna more times than, than I can recount. You yeah, know, you're I'm doing still your scarred. best, Mom. Chris, Chris, I'm still scarred, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mom, you're doing your best. Uh, we watched all of those shows, but my grandmother had this beautiful faith. It was something she knew, and she didn't know any apologetics arguments, but I watched her read her Bible. I heard, I had watched her sing hymns. I listened to her sing hymns during the day, and she couldn't drive, so we just didn't go anywhere. She just sprayed me in the backyard with a hose. That was, that was like going to Six Flags, you know? But I saw her live out her faith. And I've mentioned before, I have grown in my faith, much like I have grown knowing my, my own mother was my mother. I never knew a time when Jesus and God weren't part of my life, but I've grown to appreciate them at different phases in different ways. You know, I, I didn't understand what it was like to be a parent until I had my own child, right? I didn't understand what it, the sacrifices a mother makes till I watched my own wife make sacrifices in her life physically and emotionally for a child. And so I've grown in my faith and, you know, I've, I've made statements that I believe and I've been baptized and I've gone through those steps, but really I, I don't feel like I've known a time when I didn't know that relationship. Now, the second part of your question, though, is about apologetics. My first assignment in the FBI was working counterterrorism. And so in counterterrorism, it's you're awash in information, particularly about uh, Middle Eastern culture, Islam as a religion, Islam, and as a culture. How does that play in the U.S. for people who are converts? And then what do they believe? And as I was reading and studying some of the things they professed, they professed to believe. I said, "Well, that's not correct. You know, that allegation against Christianity is is improper." And I said, "How do I answer this?" And I didn't have a good answer. And so I found Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, and that was my hook. I, I got to uh, tell you, Chris, it, I don't think I've ever met a person come to apologetics through counterterrorism. Uh, <laughs> so that that's quite that is quite something. So so. Thank so you. you're looking for answers, and it brought you to Hank Hanegraaff, who, who, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know, in the U.S., mm-hmm. Hank was, for many, many years, Bible Answer Man. That's right. For many, many years, the Bible Answer Man. And Hank gives such nice, 
digestible answers, right? It's it's the mashed potatoes of apologetics because it's easy to consume and it worked for, for me for a while. And I said, I want a little bit more. And then I found Dr. Craig. And See, I call somebody like that, Chris, I call them a gateway drug to the that's to the exa- harder apologists. <laughs> that's, that's, ex- that's exactly what it was. You know, he, he had me hooked and I just couldn't stop. Um, like uh, like Pringles, you can't stop with just one. And I, when I found Dr. Craig, that was my journey into apologetics and beginning to learn what this is, how this works, and to study it. And I felt, wow, here is, I can endlessly study. And I, I'll never run out of topics and things. And then now I'm in the, I want to begin to benefit others with it, right? I think it's, uh, is it Jay Warner Wallace or Greg Kokel? That, I think it's Jay Warner Wallace that we need more one dollar apologist yeah and that's you know i want to be a buck 50 maybe you know if i can but uh just a maybe even a buck 75 maybe a buck 75 i'm not asking for two i'm not asking for two uh american money i'm not canadian yeah i don't know if there's i know know what the rate is right now it's not good chris it's It's not not good good. (laughs) that might buy me one egg in the u.s we're out of eggs right now i don't know if it's affecting y'all but gracious everything costs so much no but it is there is the irony that i came to canada because i knew i could go to school for for cheaper because uh you know i'm I'm originally from portland oregon and i knew that the american dollar you know went farther Mm -hmm. but now that i live here and i meet canadian yeah Mm -hmm. i've whatever whatever i made up i've lost chris I paid back. <laughs> I paid it back. So now that I found apologetics, now that I, I also teach, now that I left the FBI in January, I teach now at a Christian school here in Anchorage, Grace Christian School. They've been very nice to take me on. And I was teaching the youth um, security, cybersecurity, uh, cyber fundamentals, computer fundamentals. And one day in class, as I met the youth, I told them who I was, what I did. And we talked about the cosmological argument for God. This is with third, fourth, and fifth graders. And I also talked about internet scams. And so one of the astute students said, how did we get from God and the universe to scams? I said, good question. I said, here's my goal in life, to seek out truth and goodness, right? Mm -hmm. And in seeking out truth and goodness, I want to protect those from what is wrong, right? And promote the truth. And so that's, that is the worldview, the Christian worldview lived out, right? That is, that is me speaking all these different things. And on GoodTube Kids, we want to show children that you can go into a wide range of hobbies because the 8 to 18 range lack a place to go, right? And they deserve a place to be able to see things safely, but also be exposed to what's it like to be a welder, an engineer? What's it like to be a Navy SEAL or a, a pro football player? And how do those people live and work in those careers without having to abandon or hide their Christian faith? And so encourage children at a very young age to realize, don't don't let go, don't hide anything, live it out unapologetically. You know, it's interesting you should bring up that idea, though, of uh, hobbies. I, I noticed that quite a bit, that, you know, the just the importance of enjoying Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, life and knowing that there's ways to enjoy life than just being glued to a screen or, you know, mm-hmm. seeking your next high with drugs or whatever else it is. We, sure. you know, sometimes we don't leave kids with a whole lot of positive alternatives. So it's interesting. Uh, you may have seen I, I posted today that my boys just finished scuba lessons, and I didn't see that they loved it. And yeah. we had, you know, 
It's a great skill for them to learn. It's a hobby they could do in the future, but it provides more opportunity for adventure for us in, in the meantime. And it's something that I think about as a dad. Like I, I want them to see their their faith, but for that faith to influence and infiltrate every aspect of their life that they Absolutely. that they can see the good and the beautiful, you know, in life without having to go towards those just those destructive modes that often are 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 pulling at us mm-hmm. and giving them, you know, positive alternatives. So I I I you know I really resonate with that. Uh, realizing that as a parent, you know, this is something that we have to be proactive in our own lives and and in the lives of our children as we're we're modeling it, but we're also we're also teaching it. The phrase that I, I believe will guide us in good tube kids and is intentionally persistent, right? It we we have to it's it's exhausting, right? Fortunately we have Philippians 4 through 10. I can do all through Christ who strengthens me. But as a parent, it is exhaust. As a Christian, it is this exhausting, intentional persistence in everything we do to see: Does that glorify God? Is that edifying for me? Uh, am I protecting my child, guiding my child? You know, giving my child the tools they need. And I mentioned in this sermon I preached recently. So often, as parents now, because we're so busy, our children are so busy, we move forward in these parallel lines where you have mother and father and brother and sister all aligned like rulers facing the same direction, parallel, all on their own devices, kind of living their lives. But in SWAT, if you're, and unfortunately we understand the term active shooter everywhere now. Yes. Yeah, if you're moving in, a, very sadly, if you're moving in an active shooter or if you're moving down a hallway, you stand shoulder to shoulder with your brother in arms because they have, plating, they have protection, they have a rifle, It's their, they have training. But if I were to move down the hallway and I had to protect somebody like a doctor or somebody that had a key or something like that, and I needed to make sure they were protected, I would form a wedge. And I would make sure that nothing got through to them without going through me. That's how we have to raise our children. We have to form a wedge. And that takes intentional persistence, right? Uh, we can't just and and now that we can't we know we're starting to open our eyes. You can't trust public schooling. You can't trust the internet or it, you know family friendly or social media or trusted media. Once trusted media providers, make sure everything's filtering through you before it ever gets to your child. Now I'm not saying shelter them from every idea, but filter it and and prepare them so that what they hear aligns with what you want them to to be taught. Right. And walking with them. This is something that I have really been convicted of recently. I make space once a week, and then and you could do more than this if you want, but uh, mm-hmm. once a week, uh, I make space for these bigger, heavier topics that's going on in culture at dinner. We, we mm-hmm. talk about them and we wrestle through the, these ideas together through the, through a Christian lens, a Christian worldview and we have some fantastic conversations in our house. But I, I just remember thinking to myself, Andy, if you don't start having these conversations with your kids, culture's going to, and you're going to give up the opportunity you have when they're out of your house, so you're not going to be able to have these conversations. So my wife and I realized you know, early on, we need to be proactive in having these conversations. Because like you said, we're not trying to shelter our children. 
what what we're we're trying to do is trying to protect them and prepare them for when mm-hmm. they're engaging with culture on their own. And it's kind of like if I don't want my kid to get caught up in a scam, I'm going to have to teach them. Like you were saying earlier, you know, and you're teaching these students right. about these scams. Well, you got to help them to know what a scam is and how to spot a scam and ultimately teaching them truth so that they will experience flourishing. Yeah. You know, in Alaska here, we have with our kids, the bear conversation, right? <laughs> Bears are yes. all over. Don't Same run if you see a bear. Same in Canada, right? And so we have a fence around our backyard where our, the playground is. And why? Because I, I think it helps protect my child, right? And I have a conversation with them at an appropriate level for their age. And one day, one day, my son will go camping with his buddies on his own, right? One day, he's going to take his own son camping. He's the one responsible. But that day is not today. Vodi Bauckham says, our children are not missionaries. They are the mission, right? They're not ready yet to shoulder that sort of weight. And we see it in other things. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, um, now that's not to say that they can't yeah. be missionary, you know, missional. Yeah. Sometimes we put too heavy of a weight. In accordance with how prepared they are and the environment they're going into. So, yes. you know, maybe my son in the neighborhood when he's playing with the neighborhood kids is on mission. And he'll say, I don't feel like doing that. I don't think that's right. I don't want to hear those words. But we wouldn't send them a full-fledged missionary yet because they're just not ready. And so we want to train them as growing uh, missionaries. Maven is a group uh, with Brett Kunkel here in the U.S. that does a great job taking high schoolers, sending them someplace with supervision and training, and exposing them to that, uh, but not just feeding them to the wolves. You were living out intentional persistence to a T. Maybe it's not dinner. Maybe it's breakfast. Maybe it's on Saturdays, right? right? One thing I heard when I became a dad was, you have somewhere in about 900 Saturdays with your child from zero to 18. And by the time they're six, a third of them are gone. And so what are we doing with our time? You know, I, I have some hobbies. I Apologetics is one of them. But is my Saturday with plugging whatever it is, am I feeding my child? I, you know, this, the time is just dwindling away, dwindling away. And if yep. they go to school, then they come home. And then they do some homework and you have dinner with them. How much how that day have you spent with them? Two hours? And then they go to their room and they look on their phone for another three or four while they go to sleep. As I put air quotes up. And they and they are just fed. Somebody is ministering to your child. What is the sermon? Well, on that note, uh, I think this is a good place for us to come in for a landing. I want to thank you, Chris, for being with us. I could uh, I, I just so appreciate you. So glad that I came a you know, that we stood together at that... Uh, fortuitous. Yes, fortuitous, to get on the plane uh, together and that uh, we could have this uh, this podcast together. And I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful, you know, to hear your story, but also to hear your passion for GoodTube. Uh, please let our listeners know, where could they go to find out more information about GoodTube Kids? That's, thank you for asking. If they go to the www.goodtubekids.com, Dot com, they'll find our website, and you can also find us on Facebook. And if you, if you follow there and sign up for our email, which we're starting to send out twice a week, that'll help keep you in the loop of what we're doing. And we will have an app forthcoming soon that will be for subscription and other ways people can help support us. But 
the year is going to be very exciting. We're looking forward to it. And I, and I will say, I've been on your site. It's great. It is under, some things are under construction. So you just need to appreciate this is a growing website and, and growing resources. Yes. But listen, if you're a parent and you're looking for great resources for various age groups, I, I loved just the resources you've already got on there. There are just a number of great resources for kids. This is something we hear quite often at Apologetics Canada. People ask us, hey, what resources do you recommend for this or this? And oftentimes they'll ask us, what do you recommend for kids? Well, I would encourage you to head over to GoodTube Kids. Check out what they're recommending. There's some great stuff on there, even some stuff from Apologetics Canada. Chris, again, thank you for joining us. So good to have you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for joining us here at Apologetics Canada. This has been another edition of the AC Podcast. And as normal, love God, love people, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.